to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your... Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction Big Breakfast. And uh, today I'm very excited to have Laurie here as our special guest. Uh, and also uh, joining me is uh, is Sheldon. So welcome. Good morning, both of you. Good morning. Good yeah. morning. Before we get into the uh, the, the juicy uh, conversation that I'm sure we'll have, uh, the uh, the first and most important question, some might argue, is Laurie. What did you have for breakfast today? <laughs> I'm actually very lucky. I got any breakfast at all. I. We decided for some reason to renovate the kitchen, so there's almost nothing left in the kitchen. So I'm very lucky to have a slice of toast with egg whites and an Earl Grey tea for breakfast today. I mean, that uh, sounds pretty good considering you've got no kitchen. Yeah, it's yeah. we've been ry- relying a bit on takeout lately because trying not to mess up the kitchen more than it already is, and it's difficult to do dishes. So, uh, yeah, d- did this one at home today. <laughs> Uh, Sheldon? Yeah, I kept it light as well. I had a protein shake and just some scrambled eggs with some ketchup. So normally I don't really have breakfast, but uh, today I wanted to treat myself. So (laughs) Come on, Sheldon. Most important meal of the day. (laughs) I know. (laughs) My wife tells me that. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was very much, you know, pre-COVID a non-breakfast person, um, really. I mean, partly, I guess it was because I was getting up much earlier and didn't really fancy uh, anything before starting the commute. Um, but no, same as uh, Sheldon, I, uh, or same as the three of us, I had a bit of egg, a um, bit of ketchup and uh, sort of enjoyed more of a brunch than a breakfast, I guess. I was a, a little bit later in, in actually eating. Um, so Laurie, uh, thank you uh, very much for joining us today. Uh, and some of our regular sort of listeners and watchers might recognize you from our recent webinar. Um, so it's uh, great that we didn't scare you off uh, and that you've been willing to uh, come talk to us again. Um, but do you want to uh, introduce yourself um, to, uh, to, our, um, uh, to our listeners? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's great to see you again. Uh, so my role is Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation for a company called BGIS, We're a small global facilities management company of just under 9,000 employees globally, and our core business is FM. And obviously, as an adjunct for maintenance, we do a lot of project delivery services, uh, mostly um, retrofits or within the unexisting built environment, although we do do some new builds as well. And like I said, we are a global company. We're Canadian-based, but we uh, operate in the U.S., the U.K., Australia and New Zealand, as well as a number of other geographies, I think 24 different countries, but those are the ones that we have the most coverage in. And then like Batman, my in my alter ego, I am a super nerd and I really love our industry. So I read a lot about technology and I learn and I have my own podcast, as well as uh, I've written a few books just to satisfy my, my inner nerd, which are an extension of my day job. <laughs> And you were um, uh, uh, good enough to uh, share a few signed copies of your uh, book with uh, some of our webinar guests uh, the other week. So, you know, thank you uh, again for that. 
and we'll make sure that Sarah puts in the uh, bio for uh, today's webinar a link to, uh, to to your book and your podcast as well, so that uh, anyone interested in learning a little bit more about sort of technology in the uh, sector, the innovations that we've seen in COVID, which your book captured, um, they can uh, sort of uh, click on those links and should we go down there <laughs> and uh, and see what they've got to say. Uh, one of the uh, topics um, that uh, we, we we talked about a few uh, a uh, few times during the webinar, uh, and you captured very eloquently, was uh, was around uh, data uh, and how data is uh, really sort of changing our approach to a number of things uh, in construction, um, in terms of what we do on site, how we engage with people, and things like that. Uh, and it's a, a real topic of interest for me personally. Uh, and for um, for Invent, uh, we've done a number of um, events uh, ourselves and with uh, organisations and institutes around the world around this idea of how uh, construction is um, data rich but knowledge poor, um, how we measure and do nothing with it uh, often um, and how data is a bit of an untapped gold mine um, for, uh, for the industry. Um, and I'm very conscious that I could spend 25 minutes just giving my opinion. So um, I'll sort of hush for a minute and sort of open the floor to, to you guys and sort of what your experiences are with data in the industry, um, what has sort of excited you uh, in what you've seen and what maybe has frustrated you in, in what you've seen in how the industry's approach to it. Yeah, so much in there. So keep me honest in my answer, Ben, if I miss anything. But you're so right about data and the, just the industry's general thirst for data uh, and not just data, really insights. And as they that's that catchphrase that Peter Drucker says, what gets measured gets managed, right? Better data, better decisions. That is a bit of a cliche for a reason because it's true. And as more and more devices come online, there is more and more data available. I'm just not quite sure we've taken it to the next level and turned it into insight. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do when I look at BI programs, business intelligence programs of our clients, one of the first things that I test in the effectiveness is what difference did it make in your business? So beyond the dashboard, the destination is not the dashboard, which is just like putting lipstick on data. It's what impact what, what did the data tell you to do differently about your business and what impact has that had on your business? So continuing through the fulsome set of chevrons is really important. So data, yes, it's uh, more and more thirst. Clients want it. Let me just break it down. I think the other thing is the construction industry has a responsibility to realize that a lot of the data and insights that we can produce can come from enabled buildings. So buildings are a massive source. They're a node within a smart build, a smart city, I should say. But the buildings themselves, if they're constructed with the right specifications to begin with, can be incredibly powerful um, procurers and producers of data for the occupants. But what happens, unfortunately, is the standards that are set at the beginning Often price is important, so you go with the cheapest light lighting instead of smart lighting. You go, you know, you, you avoid the energy solutions. There's 
so many features that you can install smart features as part of the standards in the construction phase. A lot of our clients really struck, struggle to get at that construction phase. And of course, the other side is we can't treat our existing build buildings like stranded assets. So the retrofit of those buildings to have more intelligent building systems, as we look at capital plans to repair those buildings, don't replace like for like equipment, make sure you use it as an opportunity since the capital is already allocated to replace lighting or HVAC or whatever it is, use that as the opportunity to not replace like for like, use it as the opportunity to upgrade and drive more data. It's um, it's a shame in many ways, isn't it, that more of our buildings weren't enabled in that way because right now we are guessing um, at what people are using buildings for and we want buildings for. Whereas if we had these sort of smart enabled buildings, we could make sort of, you know, measured, have measured insights based on data and as people return to, to the offices, whereas really it's, you know, we're, we're just guessing uh, at the moment on what people want to use buildings for. That's so true. And it's going to continue to um, exacerbate the problem post-COVID because I think COVID in a very compressed period of time will change the way that we use the built environment quite differently, especially the office as an example, but even retail. And so making sure that we're leveraging data to manage the portfolio and to inform our decisions is important. And I, I think your, your point, you know, Ben, around what data do we want really depends on stakeholders. And when you think about the convergence of buildings, there's so many different stakeholders with different objectives. You think about the people that construct the building and what their objectives are. You think about the occupants of the building that are maybe a tenant and what their objectives are. And you think about the landlord and what their objectives are. And they're like a Venn diagram. There's some overlaps, but there's some differences. And so when you're looking at what, when, you're, when, when we design data programs, we really understand our stakeholders who we're trying to reach and what we're trying to achieve and then how we measure success. And then that dictates how we light up, like what devices will light up which data sets. But it's really important to design the data that way. And then the last thing I'll say is, we do find that a lot of organizations struggle with this definition of what kind of data do they want. So a lot of what we do is facilitate the objectives, how to measure success, provide them example scorecards for things like employee experience or occupant experience, productivity from a tenant perspective. Um, but we really design it overall based on who the stakeholder is and what their objectives are. And they do converge in the building. I think the same data sets can be used for multiple purposes. We're not good at that yet. Now, this idea of sharing data is a big no-no in many ways, isn't it, around in construction. We see, you know, where is the, um, I think what one of our issues as the as an industry is we're, we're not sure where the value sort of as a, you know, uh, pound and dollar sign uh, value is in data. Is it directly in the data or is it then in the insights? And it's more than likely in the insights, but we seem to want to, you know, allocate the dollars to the to the data itself. Um, whereas, you know, you, you, you know, it's, people often say is data the new oil. 
but is it the crude oil or is it the sort of the refined oil that you want and where the real value is and that's very much sort of the I think the the difficulty uh, large parts of the industry is having in getting their head around how to use it. Absolutely. And if you look at what solutions go viral, the same methodology or principles apply, right? Uh, the kind of data, any data that drives some form of efficiency uh, is very valuable or mitigates some kind of risk. But data that drives some sort of efficiency in, and anything that enables that is very important. Energy efficiency is a great example. Anything that enables experience, so a great experience. So one of the reasons that um, like the Uber app went so viral so quickly was because a great, great experience. You could see when the car was, you don't call a cab and stand there in the corner and hope that they show up and don't take another fare. Like it was very transparent. It was a really good experience. Even some of the apps that they're developing for food services or information about the building, very great experience. And there's a lot of focus on experience. And then the third area is around convenience. So you get to shortcut something. You don't have to call somebody. You don't have to, you know, go to the location. It creates some sort of convenience. And all of those, those three factors create virility in what, what uh, the value proposition, I should say, for data and how it's used for the stakeholders. No, definitely. I mean, uh, Sheldon, uh, your experience in um, sort of product manufacturers uh, and sort of material side of construction, they are probably one of the better parts of the industry for using data um, because, um, you know, performance there is so important as to whether it is specified by the architect and ultimately installed. Um, you know, it's one of the areas that we could probably learn from more than others. Um, in the industry. Yeah, and from a manufacturer's point of view, there's always been a big push for sustainability. So the products you're producing, how does that affect the environment? Um, how long will that last in the building? Um, that's been a big push for the last probably 10 years or so from manufacturers. So yes, they want to make a good product, but how long is that going to last? What's the experience for the, the end user? Are they going to be happy with what we put forth? Um, so there's been a lot of research, a lot of data involved in that, in, in the materials they use, and as well as um, the customers and the end users and their experience with the product. So on the manufacturing point side, there's always been there, data, sustainability. On the construction um, teams or construction companies, uh, they're adapting that as well, but I think they're a little bit slower in adapting technology. But I think with COVID, there, there's a, an acceleration um, in the use of data and how they're going to use that, how that performs um, productivity, how does that move their company forward um, compared to the competition. So you'll see a lot more construction companies using data going forward. I think that's one of the good things that came out um, with this pandemic. I think so too. And I think in addition to efficiency and some of the, the typical things we see, um, I think organizations, construction organizations are starting to recognize that the features that they build into the building create a brand for that building. They create a destination of where people want to work or live. And if they're really smart about, and sustainability is one of those big buying factors and it's very generational, but you know, if I could live in a zero footprint building, uh, my condo, I would probably choose to live there versus another location, for example. So embedding features creates a brand 
and a personality for the building that gives it that cool factor of where people want to go. And it creates a different valuation, to, you know, in theory for the property. And so then it can yeah. Sorry, so just yeah. sort of expanding on that, 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 that's sort of an interesting sort of insight into you as a person in many ways, but also, you know, you're very informed as an individual um, into the construction industry, into where to look and what to look for, I guess, in terms of understanding um, uh, how to find a, a sustainable building, a well-certified building, all of these type of things that ultimately should mean a better experience for you. Do you think or are you seeing um, uh, at all an ability to sell a higher rate based on sort of these factors, the, the sustainability and the wellness factors or a, a, a greater demand for highly sustainable uh, and sort of, you know, buildings that have been built with wellness in, in mind? I would say theoretically, yes, but I think it also depends on how they're applied and manifested, right? Um, you know, if it's if it's just one or two features or if it's it feels like an ecosystem. So a lot of it does permeate into the design. So even though you might choose um, a carbon neutral in infrastructure or a, a zero footprint building, you would want to remind the occupants of that decision with the interior design features so it's a little bit more evident. And, and I know a lot of the building engineers feels that that's a little bit fluffy. But at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is create a brand. And most of the people that buy or work or live or make the decisions, they only see things from the paint in, not the paint out. And so they have it has to be a combination of things or those talkers, uh, you know, those education tools. So we have a number of buildings that have gone through Fitwell or the International Well Building Institute um, or LEED. And what we'll do is we'll create a tour. A lot of organizations are proud to tour people through their premises. And we'll create like a, a tour, a walking tour of, of different features that we have that relate to the building infrastructure, which to the average person is interesting, but not that interesting. For us, we love it. We could hear about it all the time. But for the average occupant, they want to, they care about a different set. They want to know that's happening, but they also want to see the things that are a little bit more visible and interactive and some of the features and engagement principles inside the building as well as a complete package. So I hate to use this answer, but it depends. It depends on how it's executed. And if they take it to the level that they're really creating excitement. So you've been to an office building and maybe you've been to Google's head office and you can see the difference or LinkedIn's head office and some of their offices. They really, it's the small details that really make different. The mm. example I use in training is, if you, you've been to an amusement park, right? Like you've been to, mm -hmm. okay. So mm -hmm. you've, been, you've probably been to uh, Paramount Canada's Wonderland and you've been to Disney. Yeah a completely different level of attention and mm -hmm. engagement and uh, attention to detail in both the actual manufacturing of the park. I got a behind the scenes tour of, of the park of Disney and just the level of detail that they do in the construction really gives it that authentic feel um, for the experience of people going. And again, I know that sounds a little bit fluffy, but it does matter to the people that are deciding and the things that they can visibly see and interact with. Mm. No, it's interesting. And um, 
what sort of trends are you seeing um, in terms of the the sort of the real estate market? Um, and have you seen an acceleration in, in adoption and drive for better data, better sort of business insights over the last sort of twelve months than what you thought you might see? Yes, and on the the topic was really of interest, and I think a lot of it was the catalyst for COVID. I do talk about this in my book too, but. I think COVID was act, slingshotted forward a number of technologies or building features that would have eventually got there. Remember when we started with LEED, it took a couple of years for it to kind of warm yeah. up and then it became mainstream. And the first year or two is thought of this radical concept, you know, but now it's it's quite mainstream. The same thing was happening with uh, the Well Building Institute's um, recommendations and or FitWell, any, any of those. And we're seeing a barrage of interest in making sure that those features are embedded in a building. It's the first time in my career that I had occupants of a building ask me about um, ASHRAE standards and uh, what kind of filters we were using in our HVAC systems and things like that, measuring air quality of the buildings, um, you know, asking about Legionella and water and standing, standing pipes and things like that. It's the first time I've ever had um, occupants ask about that. And we're embedding some of that into the communication plans because we're being asked about it. So the investments that we're seeing in buildings uh, to drive data are really around health and wellness features, which ultimately dovetail into employee experience features. A lot of organizations, in addition to refreshing their offices, maybe rationalizing some of their space, are definitely investing in new features like touchless, uh, touchless washrooms, touchless uh, faucets, uh, water stations, etc., elevators. So, um, going back and retroactively embedding those antimicrobial coatings on certain common surfaces and things like that. A lot of investment in those areas and a lot of care around how they can demonstrate um, measured commitment to those principles in this next refresh. And it's happening all in a very short window. So. It's pretty pretty exciting times right now. Yeah, and e even to uh, Laurie's point, I know I worked with um, Honda Canada, I believe, just when the height of COVID started, and they contacted about touchless openings for their manufacturing facility. So they wanted to see how they can do go about doing that. Antimicrobial solutions, um, copper coating on mm -hmm. their touchless. So there's a big drive since COVID happened. Uh, companies want that touchless solution, technology enabled door access controlled egress waved open all that you'll see in buildings going forward as a standard not just an option exactly. yes, uh, uh, an architect client of ours uh, based here uh, in london uk um one of the buildings they're looking at uh, refurbishing they're looking at an app uh, for guests but also for staff but the idea is that you get sent a qr code as a guest that lets you in at security downstairs also, you can go to the lift and use that QR code on a scanner to sort of you know get to your floor. So you can get all the way to the office without talking to anyone or touching anything. Um, and there's a real sort of, like you say, a real drive for all this uh, and some really innovative uh, use of technology being sort of um, inserted into buildings. Yeah, and, and because we manage uh, the capital plan, um, multi-billion dollar programs for our clients, um, we actually have journey mapped a lot of their premises. And so if we're touching 
Every time we touch a building is a chance to make it contactless or smarter. And we are, we, we've gone through all the capital plans and look for ways that we can modify or upgrade it since we have the capital already identified. In many instances, it doesn't really require incremental capital, sometimes it, it just a little bit more. But since you've got the capital already allocated, it's just such a, a small additional investment rather than replacing it and then having to retrofit it again with new capital, almost double spending for it. So we do manage that very carefully as part of how we continue to upgrade and evolve the building to make it relevant and, and uh, continue to produce information that's necessary. So amazingly, uh, we've, um, we're, we're running out of time. <laughs> the, the conversation's been uh, very engaging and, and we've flown through. Um, it, w one last question uh, for you, Laurie. Um, so if there was one piece of advice that you would give our listeners on what they can do with their data, how they could better think about leveraging value from that data, what would be, what would be the one thing that um, uh, people out there should go and think about today? Oh, there's probably two things I would say, if, if you don't mind. One is, um, I think every, every one of us has to be built for integration in the future. The future belongs to those that will integrate data really, really well. No one company will ever own all the data, not even Google owns all the data. So instead of trying to do this, which is our traditional instincts, be built for that matrix. And you see lots of, um, you know, software examples and metaphors of, of how that works. I think that would be my advice is, um, especially for those clients that are across multiple portfolios, be open to that. Your data is going to come from different sources. Not every building has the same building automation system, for example, a big producer of that data. So um, so make sure that you're you're identifying that. The second thing I would say is understand what are your goals and objectives and how do you measure success? What problem are you solving is another way to say that. I think a lot of times we get shiny object syndrome and we're out there, we get caught up in the cool and we forget about what problem we're solving. So if you really want to invest in producing data that is meaningful for you, I know it's a hard thing to slow us, ourselves down because we get so excited, but it's really important to force our minds into dark corners and start with the problem that we're solving or the objective that we're trying to make progress with, and then find the device that will light up that data set. So if you do it in a very linear chronological way, then you're not going to have any false starts. You're going to have a better adoption and a better opportunity to get things approved and uh, just get to that data outcome that you're looking for much faster. Yeah, no, good. And uh, I mean, to your first point, you're, you're completely right. We're going to have to move away from our data silos uh, and really sort of embrace sort of the sharing. Uh, and a great sort of a resource for anyone who's interested in learning more about that is the Open Data Institute. Uh, they've got some fantastic um, uh, examples, uh, some fantastic uh, uh, reference documents and uh, regular sort of webinars and talks that they host all around this idea of uh, creating open data networks, sharing information, uh, and ultimately, um, you know, the the greater value that you create through the insights that allows rather than the value of the data itself. And so uh, on that, uh, Laurie, thank you very much uh, for your uh, time today. 
Uh, it has been very interesting, uh, very insightful. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, for everyone who is watching or listening uh, to today's podcast, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, like, please subscribe as well if you're not already subscribing and do make sure that you share uh, today's podcast and future podcasts uh, and make sure that you uh, join in uh, on our next episode. Uh, so thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.